Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bingo! Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. He is hard to believe. Here's Jordan. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Dime Dropper. Playoff recap, I think it's number three. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on all platforms at YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast. Almost at 3,000, guys. We're very close. The more Clippers lose, the more views I get. So, almost at that 3,000. Tell your friends if you're a fan of another team. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and of course, to follow me on social media, all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. I should be I should be posting more on, on TikTok and Facebook, but... Just follow me on all platforms, and then I'll post them on all of them eventually more. But I'm going to talk about three games tonight. I didn't get to watch the Sixers game, too. I didn't get to watch the Jazz game, too. So apologies. Maybe I'll cover them tomorrow. But let's talk. And tomorrow's going to be my last life for a couple days. I'm going out of town for Memorial Weekend. So if the Clippers get swept for game four or tie the series, I may find a way to go live. I'm going to be with my family, though, and friends. So I don't know if I'll have the time, but I'm going to try. If we get swept, though... No, I'll have to save the reaction for when I come back, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. This is not a Clippers live tonight. It's a Lakers live, a Miami Heat and Bucks live, and then the Knicks at the end. So let's start with the Lakers tonight. Um, I want to just say something real quick, though. Um, if you guys haven't noticed, I'm a big, you know, big into fan interaction at games and atmosphere of games and crowds and all this. Because as I said I, in my first ever episode, I grew up going to games all the time. You know, I know Stable Center like the back of my hand. Uh, I've been so many times. I know every section, uh, all that. And I remember I got I got a couple opportunities in my life to go to Laker and Clipper games back to back on back to back nights. Um, it wasn't very wasn't planned to do it like that, but it just so happened that our tickets coincided with uh, our you know we're just consecutively next to each other. And I remember you know wanting to see the differences in the game experiences. Um, there's a lot that used to be different. I mean, the lighting in Laker games, it's dark in the crowd, and the light of the purple and gold on the court. is that, They made Madison Square Garden and kind of Barclays Center kind of adopted that, where they black out the crowd and then make it light on the floor. And then Clipper games, it used to be uh, just normal lighting. Now they've darkened it a bit. Um, but the one thing I did notice was the Laker games were louder up top. Clipper games, louder at the in the lower bowl. Laker games quieter in the lower bowl because the tickets are so expensive that you didn't see as many diehards. And then in the upper bowl for the Clippers, it's just people that could afford a game. And I remember the regular season was around the same energy level. just depends on the game. But in the playoffs, when the Lakers had Kobe, I remember that the Laker fans in the first round at least, because I've never been to a Lakers second round game or conference finals, but the first round for some reason was... It's like Laker fans were so used to it that it was like a big regular season game. Like it didn't it didn't feel any different, that different. Um, but the Clipper games in the first round, this is like 2012, 13, 14, 15, it was electric. Like like everybody dressed in red. There was so much energy in the building because it was like the fans, like we hadn't been to the playoffs. And you know, I remember like it was just night and day. I was at Lakers Nuggets game five, 2012. And then the night before, I was at Clippers-Grizzlies game four, 2012. And the Clippers-Grizzlies game was just a different planet. Only the fourth quarter of the Laker game was good because Kobe started hitting shots. But tonight, 
That Laker game sounded 100 times louder than the game I went to. What has happened to the Clipper fan base? Or is it the Laker fans of just not taking it for granted anymore? Is that what's happening? That the Laker fans aren't taking it for granted, so now they're really making noise? Because Laker fans were always used to being out of it till the fourth quarter. That was the reputation. You know, Clipper fans, or it's a lot more younger crowd, lively, not as knowledgeable, not as diehard fans as the Lakers, because the Lakers do have a lot of diehard fans. They're just not, LA fans are just not very loud. I've talked about this before. But for whatever reason in the playoffs, Clipper fans took it to another level. But these Laker fans tonight, it seemed like, you know, kind of like that Knicks vibe where they hadn't been in the playoffs in eight years. They really made it sound like it was loud in there. Um, so props to the Laker fans. But it just makes me think, man, what's going on? What's going on with the Clippers? Are we, um, have we lost fans? I feel like we've gained fans over the years. But for whatever reason also, I've seen more closeted Laker fans at these games in the playoffs than I ever saw in the past. Like, I never really saw closeted Laker fans at the Clipper games like that in the past. Playoff games. Regular season, you see some scattered around. But I don't know what it is, man. It's very disappointing, in my opinion. A little depressing for a diehard like me. Um, because I'm not saying that. Like, it was nothing crazy with Luka. Like, there were some Mavs fans around me. I don't know if some of them were Mavs fans or Luka fanboys. Probably a mix of both. But nothing that you could really hear on TV. Um, but it doesn't sound like that Laker game. It didn't really sound like that same home court advantage. But... The Lakers tonight, I thought that they came out with great defense. Like, the last two games. So, I watched game two as well. The defense in the last two games has just been very sharp. And this is where the Lakers and the Clippers differ. Um, the Lakers are just on a string defensively. They're very creative in when they know when to switch. They'll switch, like, when somebody, when they're a step behind. Like, if somebody gets beat off the dribble, they'll be like, oh, yo, switch it. I go to the corner. The guy takes over and uh, takes the, the guy on the drip, off the dribble. You know, like, it's just... They're on a string, you know what I'm saying? And, like, they've been like that whether they've had LeBron and AD in the lineup or not. We are silly string. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're non-existent. So that's one thing I noticed. I thought Dennis Schroeder and KCP put really good pressure on the ball. Um, I thought that Andre Drummond did a good job of, you know, on the drop coverages coming up and making sure that Chris Paul and Booker didn't have as much room to pull the mid-range. Uh, Chris Paul... It's very sad to see him like this, man. He just looks like he's favoring one side of his body. And, you know, he's not trying to take anybody off the dribble. He's not, you know, comfortable rising up into that mid-range. He's just not, he's just not looking like it right now. And DeAndre Ayton was playing well in that first half. Mikel Bridges, I thought he was a, he got mixed a little bit on defense. Like Dennis Schroeder has been really good these last two games. I thought LeBron was setting the table well for everybody. AD was okay, but I really think it was just the defense of the Lakers. And Drummond, honestly, had a pretty solid start. But Chris Paul, man, this is what his legacy is, is going to be, goes down to. And this is why I don't have him as high as a lot of people in the all-time point guard discussion, even though he's like my one of my favorite, if not my favorite player of all time, right there with, with Magic, but... Like, I, w I would say he's probably my favorite player ever because I got to watch him for my team and, like, he changed my franchise. And, like, he was the only player on the Clippers that I used to, like, try to emulate as a, as a player. But he just he just has terrible luck with injuries, whether it be time in the regular season and the playoffs. These last couple of years, he has cleaned it up in the regular season, and now in the playoffs, he's just doesn't look the same. And it's just so crazy because going into the series, we were talking about the Lakers not being at 100%. And it's the Lakers stars that look more healthy than the Suns two stars because Chris Paul. 
thought Devin Booker was good in the first half. But Jay Crowder, man, he is in the doghouse right now. He's playing like he did in the finals last year, bricking everything. And he's been great this season for Phoenix. This is like Marcus Morris Sr. right now. He is choking it. Another former Celtic, actually. A former teammate of Marcus Morris Sr., I believe. No, actually, I don't think so. 2017 Cavs, I don't think. I mean, 2017 Celtics, I don't think Sr. was there. Um, if you're a Celtics fan in the chat, tell me. But, um, yeah, dude, Crowder missing everything. You know, it was a three-point game at the half. Um, but the Lakers, again, they've really become known for this in this, this year. Second half team, and that's what you got to be if you're a great team. Uh, second half team, third quarter, turned up the gas on defense, but it was really the offense that got going. And who does it start with? LeBron. Best player in basketball still, in my opinion, until proven otherwise. Uh, he, in the first half, he wasn't coming off those screens that hard. Like, he wasn't trying to get to the rim. He was settling for threes, and he was turning the ball over a lot at one point. But he also was making some great passes to cutters, finding guys, making great plays off the drive. Uh, but in the third quarter, he started looking to get to the rim and score himself more. And I really think that that scared the Suns a bit. And I thought that Jay Crowder started getting frustrated. And I know Jay Crowder doesn't like LeBron. I talked about this in Who's the Goat, my third ever episode, about how Jay Crowder didn't like playing with LeBron. Because in 2018, LeBron was really, really, really just stopping the ball and trying to make all the plays himself. He wasn't trusting his teammates the same way he is now. And I think that Jay Crowder got annoyed with that. That's why he made that comment after he got traded to Utah talking about how it's fun playing in a real system, which means that, you know, and we're not making the assist pass, which is t clearly shots at LeBron. And every single time uh, you see them play, in, like you saw it in the finals last year, uh, he really tries to, you know, he has a bone to pick with him for whatever reason. Uh, he didn't like playing with him. And, but here's the thing, LeBron, he's very good. And he, he's been good, he's been good uh, about this since he was young, actually. He's very good at keeping his cool. And I think that he, he got under his skin a little bit. Picked, I know he flopped on that ridiculous, uh, after that nice reverse layup LeBron had, uh, he flopped on Jay Crowder just running. But he knew that Crowder was easily irritable. And that's a vet move. And he bait, he took the bait. And you got to love that because he got the crowd going. I heard fuck Jay Crowder chants in the Staples Center. You know, Laker fans can be vulgar at times. But shit, every fan base has been like that for the most part. Um, Knicks fans, uh, Celtics fans, so... Part of the game, and Jay Crowder was asking for it to be honest. I thought that Chris Paul, man, here's the thing I love him, but he's a little scumbag, bro. Like, he he flops and cries and whines. I get why the people are starting to turn on Lob City at the end, like other fans, because like Chris Paul is not like I love him because he reminds me of myself a little bit. Like, because I, I mean, I'm not gonna say I'm a dirty player, but sometimes when I get frustrated, I will definitely commit a hard foul. Um, but he just he definitely is not the most likable guy in the world. Like, when, before he came to my team, I did not like him that much. Like, I didn't. I like Darren Williams more. He's not the most li uh, likable guy in the world. Um, again, I'm going to answer this question for the millionth time. Uh, I'm not going to answer about hypothetical series that haven't happened yet. We're doing playoff coverage. We're going to talk about the game. We're not going to look ahead. We're talking about Lakers-Suns right now. So... I thought the Lakers really turned up their antennas on defense. I thought that they made a really good job of making life tough for Booker. But I also think Booker was really poor tonight. I thought he was good in the first half. But in the second half, when the run was being made, you know Chris Paul's injured. You need to be the one that makes plays to stop momentum. DeAndre Ayton has been the best player in this series for the Suns. And that's amazing. You'd think hearing that, that they'd probably be up 2-1 and not down 2-1. But because of Chris Paul's injury, I mean, they played 27 minutes tonight. He had seven points. He was three of eight. He didn't shoot one three. 
it's tough seeing him like this. It's very tough. Campaign played just as many minutes as him, 27. He had 15 points and 6 of 11 from the field. The Suns were 11 of 29 from three. A lot of them were really solid looks. 38%. That doesn't sound that bad, but considering the looks they got, I thought that they could have shot a lot better, especially Jay Crowder, who was 1 of 7 from three and 2 of 9 from the field. Nine points he had. But Devin Booker, he just did not... I mean, this was his first real bad game of the series. I don't think he was bad in game two. I thought he wasn't good tonight. So I thought that, you know, inexperience showed a bit. He was getting rattled, and Book has a little temper. And he's been ejected twice against the Lakers this season. And, yeah, that happened. Uh, the third quarter, though, Lakers outscored the Suns 33-23. And I thought that somebody we got to give some credit to is Anthony Davis. I thought that he was playing like how he should play all the time. And if he played like that all the time, I would be much more comfortable throwing him in the conversations with the great bigs of the game in history and power forward. But because he chooses quarters or so to play it and they get, you know, they're playing against good teams and not great ones. The Suns are a very good team. They're not a great team in my opinion. At least not with this Chris Paul injured. There's no I mean, there's no question about that. Uh they're not a great team right now the way they're playing. If they had a healthy Chris Paul, maybe they're a great team. I still think they're on the good side, very good. Um but I think that, you know, I think that AD was getting the ball, going through guys, you know, trying to go right into their chest, as me and my boy Lake Show talked about on Twitter today. Uh, and I thought that he was getting offensive rebounds and going up strong, trying to play through contact, you know, go post up, get, you know, ask for the ball when he had certain switches. And that's how Anthony Davis needs to play. And that's how, if he and LeBron played like that third quarter, this series is a wrap. And because of Chris Paul's injury, five games. I had six games before the series. And I still think it's going to be six games. Um, hypothetically, though, if Chris Paul, I think, had been like fully healthy and hadn't sustained that injury, I think, honestly, the way it's looking, it would have gone seven games. Just because AD and LeBron, just like they look good for stretches, but they don't oh, haven't looked like as sharp as we saw like last year, per se. But it's a great win for the Lakers. I thought that this was definitely not the Suns game to win. Uh, I thought Wes Matthews came in and made some big shots and, and was playing good defense. Eight points for him, two of five from the field, and two of four from three. I thought Kuzma had a typical reflection of his season. Uh, I don't think that Kuzma is very effective as a spot-up shooter. I know he's got to make more shots than that, and he had a ton of good looks, but I think he's not that effective as a spot-up shooter. I think sometimes he thinks that he's Klay Thompson. Two of eight from three, two of 12 from the field, but his effort, man, on the glass, 10 rebounds, you know, eight points. He was plus 14, which... Besides LeBron, who was plus 15, is the highest of any Laker. Uh, LeBron, 21 points, 6 boards, 9 assists, 7 turnovers. So that's one thing you should clean up. But overall, I thought he was pretty good. I thought that uh, it was nice seeing him post up a little bit and spin off of dudes, feel their weight. That's good. That's something that he definitely started doing more when he went to Miami as opposed to Cleveland. Um, the one thing I'll say, oh yeah, and also, oh my god, did anybody see that ISO that Braun tried to do on Jay Crowder? Like the like the Harden imitation? Oh my god, it was so ugly and stiff, but we all know LeBron's bag is a little, it's not very easy on the eye, but LeBron had some nice dunks though in that, in that third quarter, I can't even hate, so let's move on, that's 2-1, so now the pressure's all on Phoenix in this game four. Can they tie the series and take home court advantage back? Because if they go down 3-1, that's done, that's it. So, this is it. This is a good... I know he's injured, but this is a legacy game for Chris Paul. He was getting MVP talks all year. This is it. You're going to have to... If you're really, really, really that injured... Man. 
I don't know. I wouldn't say he's being detrimental to the team right now, but he has really got to give it his all in that next game. Same with Devin Booker. So, anyway, let's move on to the Bucks and the Heat. So, tonight, I was really looking to see a bounce-back performance from the Heat from Jimmy Butler. And the defense in the first quarter was decent from Miami. But this offense... It is really tough to watch this year. It is nothing like last year in the bubble. Last year in the bubble, the Heat were moving the ball. They're moving without the ball. They're moving with confidence, talking, playing with confidence, looking like they were having fun. Right now, they look disjointed. They look like they have no confidence, no rhythm. They look like they just, you know, started playing, like for the first time this season without any practice. And I think it's mainly the white boy trio. The white boy trio of Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and Goran Dragic were phenomenal in the glorified summer league. Phenomenal. Duncan Robinson was making everything. Tyler Hero was killing in the pick and roll. He was scoring from all three levels, finishing everything around the basket, making tough threes. And Goran Dragic was playing like a peak version of himself. Tyler Hero's been fucking his girlfriend too much. I mean, she's pretty hot, I can't lie, so I don't blame him. He's hanging out with Jack Harlow, making music. He is not hungry at all. Full-on IHOP breakfast, the fix-ins and everything. He is not hungry at all. He's just out there having fun. Nothing like the same at all. Nothing. Goran Dragic looks like a shell of himself right now. Duncan Robinson is... Everybody knows who he is now, and he is just trying to find any glimmer of hope to shoot a ball, shoot the ball, and he's taking some very ill-advised shots, and he's not making anything. Trevor Ariza is, probably should retire. I mean, I don't know. They threw him in the starting lineup like this is 2009 or 2015 or 2017, like, or 2018. You know what I'm saying? Like, this ain't that Trevor Ariza anymore, uh, Miami. And then... Let's talk about the stars. I thought Jimmy Butler was a lot better tonight. I thought he was trying. Um, but right now, the facts of the matter are this. He's their number one shot creator. And last year, he had two, three, and four shot creators. Or, or should I say, a second and third shot creator in Goron and Tyler Hero that were playing almost as well as him. And Jay Crowder was a lot better than Trevor Ariza. And the main difference, I think, even more so than anything, Bam Adebayo was playing with a totally different confidence to his game, a totally different pep in his step last year. He is playing like Draymond fucking Green right now. He is not confident at all. His mid-range is broke. He needs to go watch some Daryl Dawkins or something and just get in the gym and pull mid-ranges all summer because this is like this is very tough to watch, man. Brooke Lopez has completely outplayed him on both ends of the floor. He has been a presence down low. He has shown some glimpses of old Brooke Lopez from the Nets in this series in that mid-post area, and Bam Adebayo can't hit a mid-range to save his life. I mean, Jimmy Butler, I love him to death, bro. I've defended him so much. But right now, he's looking like a bona fide number two option for a championship team. He may have, he may have just maximized his Cinderella run last year. I do think they were still the best team in the 2020 East, though. Do not get it twisted. They still got it done. They were a better team last year. They have not had the same camaraderie this year. They have not had the same continuity this year. It's been a weird year. I'm not going to just call all out calling them frauds, especially somebody like Jimmy who 
Yeah, okay, he's not a top. He played like a top ten player last year. This year, yeah, he's not a top ten player anymore. Uh, to me, at least. And that was always debatable. I would just have him because I thought he outplayed a lot of guys in the playoffs last year. You know what I'm saying? Like Giannis. Let's just talk about Giannis for a, for a second. Giannis last year in the playoffs had no clue what he was doing. He was just running from the top of the key, charging into guys. Jimmy Butler was getting in his head. Jay Crowder was getting in his head. He was missing free throws. He just didn't know what to do. This playoffs, he's playing much more off ball. He is playing much more as a roller. Uh, meaning setting screens and rolling, if you didn't get the term. And he is f- conserving more of that energy for the defensive side. You can tell Jimmy Butler doesn't want to go at Giannis on offense one-on-one. He never tries to get by him because he knows he can't do it. He doesn't have the offensive bag for the size and nice you know, uh, lateral movement that Giannis has. And Giannis is playing with a force. So you know, Jimmy's trying to wait for anybody but Giannis to guard him, to go at him. And so Giannis has been really good on that end, and he is trying really hard, as he always does. But he is con- he's being a lot smarter about the way he's using his energy. And because he can trust his point guard now in Drew Holiday, who I have been hyping up all year. And in the regular season, the record didn't show it. But oh boy, look at the difference that he has made to this team in the postseason. This is a bona fide, you want to talk about two-way players? This is a bona fide two-way player right here. He can guard your best player. He is strong as shit. He can play bully ball, and he's got a face-up game. He was like Duncan Robinson. I I mean, he was actually playing decent defense on some of those, but there were some plays, Drew Holiday, you know, combos, tween, cross, step back. Oh, my goodness. Like, he just brings a totally different level of seriousness and grit to this Bucks team. And then you add guys like Bobby Portis and P.J. Tucker. And then a, a Pat Connaughton, a Giannis, a Chris Middleton, who, and Brooke Lopez, who have just lost two years in a row together. I mean, this is a motivated bunch. This is one, and I'm telling you right now, this is one of the only great teams in the NBA right now. They are a great team because they have some firepower on the offensive end and they're committed with one another on the defensive end. That is a great team. Not one of these, not a team, Dallas is not a great team. They have a great player. They're not a great team. The Clippers are not a great team because none of them are great on both ends of the court. The the, the Bucs are one of the only great teams in the league. And they are shooting lights out too. Bryn Forbes, Pat Connaughton. But this is, they just, they're in the Heat's heads. They, they, the Heat can't score. Bam Adebayo is a, like, he is really disappointing. And Goran Dragic was missing open shots tonight. Like, just open shots. And where's the urgency? Where's the hunger that we saw from the Heat last year? We never saw them just roll over and die. You had to play nearly perfectly, or not even perfectly. You had to play consistently for four quarters to beat them. And look, the Bucks have done that. The Bucks have definitely done that. And also, of course, the Lakers are, the great, are a great team. Stop getting so insecure. Um, the Bucks. Giannis, I saw him bust out two turnarounds over his right shoulder um, tonight. Two turnarounds over his right shoulder from the mid post. I saw that very occasionally last year, but not at a reliable rate. Seeing that tonight, that is huge down the line. If he can go to that more often and knock it down, that will be a potential difference maker. And I'm telling you right now, now it's just a battle to not get swept if you're Miami. My pick was Bucks and seven. I was very wrong. It's going to be possibly Bucks and four. Um, so now it's like, where's the pride? Where's the pride for the Miami Heat? Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Goran Dragic. Don't get swept, bro. Like, don't get swept, please. 
Um, but other than that, the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, they're playing. This is the best Bucks team of the definitely of the Giannis tenure. This is the best Bucks team, in my opinion, of the 2010s. This is the best Bucks team that I've seen in my 16 years watching basketball live. No doubts. No doubts. The real showdown is going to come next. And I cannot wait. And I think they can do it. I really think they can do it. Because Drew Holiday is very good at guarding KD. Because KD doesn't like going up against like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Smaller guys that are strong, they can move laterally. Because he has a high and wide dribble. So it's easy to steal from guys like that. Because he, again, he's 7 feet. They're lower to the ground. That's why he hated playing against Tony Allen. Drew Holiday is in the same mold as him. And I think that Giannis and, and Middleton on Harden, I think Kyrie's the tough one. And they have a lot of guys that can play. But I think if there's anybody that can try to get them, the Bucks, but anyway, yeah. Let's look at the rest. Let's, let's read the lines. Trevor Ariza, 0 for four, 0 of two from three. A straight up donut. It's time to retire, Trevor. Love you, buddy, but it's time to retire. Jimmy Butler in 38 minutes, 19 points. It's still there to have 20 points. So to me, that's not good enough. Seven of 17 from the field, two of four from three, eight rebounds, six assists. Bam out of bio. He hustled in the third quarter, but I'm afraid it's too late for that. 17 points on 7 of 14, and I know that's 50%, but a lot of those shots were wide open, little chippies, and shots he should have made. Eight rebounds, four assists. Goran Dragic, eight points, three of 14, two of six from three, only two assists. Duncan Robinson, one of six from the field, 0 of four from three, two points, Tyler Hero, 9 points on 4 of 10 from the field and 1 of 5 from 3. The Heat as a team shot 37.6%, 32 of 85, and they were 9 of 32 from 3. That's only 28%. And the Bucks were 36% from 3 on 13 to 36. They were getting a little carried away too, but it didn't matter because they were so far ahead and so comfortable the whole game. They led by 12 after one because Miami only scored 14 points in the first quarter. If you combine the white boy trio tonight, they had an amazing total of 19 points. The white boy trio had the same amount of points as Jimmy Butler by himself. They shot, let's calculate this, 8 of 30 from the field. Just not going to get it done. This series is a wrap. The Bucks, they got him. Let's move on to the final game that I got to watch tonight. I'm not going to talk about Denver and Portland. It's a big win for Denver because they didn't watch the game. So I'll try to see what I can do for tomorrow and try to watch some of the games that I missed. But let's talk about the Knicks because I watched this game, and, man, I'm so jealous of that fucking crowd, bro. Ugh, I want to be there so bad. Um, but so here's the adjustments I noticed from New York. In the beginning of the game, I saw the, they were fired up in the first couple of minutes. And that's the type of intensity the Clippers need to come out with on a defensive end when you lose a game. Like, just inexcusable. Um, but the Knicks came out with a better defense on Trey Young. I saw uh, more pressure coming off coming off screens from the, from the guy guarding, guarding him. But I also saw the bigs coming up a little more, a little more hedge and recover. But after the first couple of minutes... They went away from that, and Trey just started getting in the paint, and they started collapsing, taking away the floater, giving up the open three, and Gallinari, Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, they were all hitting. And that's the thing about this Hawks team. They have weapons, weapons that the Knicks don't have. Julius Randle, again, 
He was off to a very tough start. They were loading up. They were doubling. They were throwing all kinds of different things at him. But Frazier made a really good point in commentary. And by the way, Frazier's just so funny. Like, he just rhymes the whole game. Like, just, just rhymes. Bounding and astounding, swishing and dishing, penetrating, creating. Like, he's just fucking hilarious. It's like he just wants to use SAT words. Tenacity and veracity on the boards. Like, he's just funny. But anyway, um, uh, Frazier, he was making a good point about Randall. He was saying he's thinking too much. And this is what I said about Kawhi. This is what I said about Kawhi. He, um, he gets to, a lot of players. They look around to see, oh, are they loading up on me? Are they doubling? Let me survey the floor like a LeBron thing, right? LeBron's an exception. He's super good at picking passes and cross-court passes, at seeing the floor and surveying. But this is the problem with these modern players. When you're getting double teamed and you're not going to have as many clear-cut opportunities to score in a game, when you got a chance to go one-on-one, you got to go. And that's what Frazier was saying. He's waiting too long, like figuring out what they're trying to do. You got to go. Make them adjust to you. You see one-on-one, you try to make a move quick. They're going to double you, then you kick. Catch them off guard. When they get a chance to wait and load up, then they get to start getting the shots they want out of you. And Julius Randle, I thought in the second half, he was cat was attacking much faster off the catch and playing more off ball. That's the thing about some of these guys. They need to just, instead of forcing so much on ball, go play a little bit of off ball. And I thought that um, Derek Rose was awesome. Like, just awesome. In the pick and rolls, you know, he is... Like, imagine if he was playing in this spread offenses... When he was in Chicago, I know he improved his jumper uh, since then. But if the league had trans, the way the league was trans, you know, uh, transforming, he would have done that anyway. With the explosion that he had, oh my word! Like it's so easy for him now still to score sometimes. But yeah, like he'll drive and he'll step back on a dime off the screen when the guy's on his hip. I mean, he's a great finisher. He still has a great layup package, and he was hitting threes even off the catch. And he was keeping the Knicks in the game. And somebody else I thought was great again was uh, Alec Burks. 11 points, 4 of 13. I know that's not the best field goal percentage. But you can get you get double figures from bench guys when your starters are kind of struggling. Like RJ Barrett, 13 points, 5 of 14. He didn't have the best night uh, in game two. Obi Toppin, though. I thought he brought a lot of energy to the game. Uh, I thought that he was rebounding. He was... You know, he was getting out in transition. There was one sequence where he blocked a shot and then got the lob on the receiving end from Burks, and the place erupted. Oh, my God. That was dope. Um, but Obi, I just thought he was working hard. And I think he's had a really solid first two games, honestly. I don't think he's had that many minutes. He only played 12 minutes in the game, and he had eight points, but he was efficient in those minutes, two of four, you know, plus six. I thought that I just liked his energy, his hustle. Um, I think the Knicks are just so motivated by that crowd. I think somebody else that was great and was getting huge shots in the in the second half. And by the way, I thought that when the momentum, and this is what a home crowd can do, when the momentum was starting to go to the Knicks' way, Reggie Bullock started making threes. And he had a poor game once. He was due for a good one in this one, and he was hitting them. 15 points for Reggie Bullock, 5 of 8 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3. Some of them were, like, not even easy either. Some of them, you know, the contest was there. He was moving some of them. And when that crowd started going in that third quarter, the Hawks just started chucking them up. And they were missing. They had some good looks, though. Gallinari, Bogdanovich. And they started missing, bruh. They started missing. Um, 
And that's what the momentum can do. Then Trey Young starts missing, and the Knicks just took over the game. And then Randall starts working quicker off the catch. He was much better in the third quarter. I think he had like nine points in the third. He had 15 and 12 in the game with four assists. But Derek Rose, 26 points, 9 of 21. The Knicks rode that momentum to the finish. They outscored the Hawks 57 to 35 in the second half for a 101-92 win. And I saw the scenes at the Garden after the game. Wow, man. Delirium. Bedlam, as Mike Green would say. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. Um... Trey Young, though, again, had a very solid performance, man. Like, I got to give it to him. He is bringing it to his first playoffs. 30, and I was the one that said, I think people are going to view him very differently after this series. Because I thought the physicality would get to him. But he's ready for all of it. 30 points, 11 of 20 from the field. 4 of 7 from 3 for Trey. 7 assists. 18 points for DeAndre Hunter. A lot of those, half of them coming at the line. 9 of 11 from the line. He was 3 of 10 from the field and 3 of 8 from 3. John Collins was in foul trouble the whole game. 5 fouls. He had a donut. A donut and only played 15 minutes. Bogdanovich, though, way too three happy, but he did miss some good looks. He was two of 13 from three, eight of 21 from the field. So that means he was six of eight from two and shot a lot of threes. And then Gallinari, you know, I'm not going to lie, he didn't have a great playoffs with the Clippers either in 2019. He's having another bad playoff so far. Six points on two of 10. He was one of the guys that could have made shots. And Lou Williams. Looking like Lemon Pepper Lou from last year, one of six on the field. Lou and Montrader not doing anything in this playoffs, really. I think Lou had a good game one, though. I'll give it to him. But the one that's doing the best is Glenn. All the ex-Clippers are kind of not doing... I mean, if we're going to count Reggie Bullock as an ex-Clipper, he's doing well. But a lot of them aren't doing that well. Uh, Glenn Rivers, though, good for him. But Knicks fans, they brought it. Knicks got the game back. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the ATL. Um... I think the Hawks are going to definitely win a game. They may win both because they're shooting. It's all about their shooting. If they can hit open shots at home, oof. There's going to be a lot of Knicks fans there, though, man, because Knicks fans travel. There's a lot of them everywhere. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm, that's the best series for me. I'm really – I love it. I just – I love watching that series. Um, I'm, I think it's going to be a split, though. I said I said Hawks – I'm sorry. I said Knicks in seven. There's a little – because I think that if, if it goes to a game seven at the Garden, I think the Knicks will win it. Um, but honestly, Ice Trey does have the potential to be a guy to win a Game 7 on the road against a young team like the Knicks. But I'm thinking it's going to be a split in Atlanta. I really do. Uh, that home crowd is not going to be the same as, as the Knicks. But that's it for me tonight, guys. Thanks for joining me. Tomorrow I'll be live probably after the Clipper game. Dear Lord, just like, please, just one win. Like, please. But anyway, I'm going to go to the live chat now. Just not for too long. Peace out.